Hello and welcome to the North New South Wales podcast on the Sabbath School lessons. And this week we're looking at Lesson 5, Spirit and Power of Witnessing, and you're with Pastor Neil Thompson. So glad you can join us. Now this week's lesson is a really a very important one actually. Our memory text is all about, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. And in other places, it speaks about speaking the word of God with power. And that's Acts 4.31. This is an important lesson because this is, if you could think of it, starting out as the, um, the early church was, a very small group. At the time that Jesus went to the cross, the disciples had scattered. They were in fear of their very lives. It looked like the the Sanhedrin was going to get the upper hand and the, and the mission of God was about to be thwarted. The thin little line of, of truth was about to be squashed. But Jesus actually gave a promise which was absolutely essential and powerful and was about to change everything. And this promise was the promise of power. Because Jesus said in Acts 1 verse 8, when he gave the very last message before he was taken away to heaven, he said, but you shall receive power. That word power there is the word dunamos, dynamite, if you like. It's where we get the modern word dynamite. I love it in Papua New Guinea. It's rigator um, in pigeon. So it's this kind of like power, dynamite it's explosive there's lots of energy and the holy spirit is what's going to come upon you and deliver you that power for what purpose so that you shall be witnesses to me in jerusalem judea and all samaria and in actual fact to the very ends of the earth so it's kind of like start near broader out and then to the very ends of the earth it is just an amazing thing and what was going to turn them from being basically scaredy cats, people who were feeling very small, um, into the extraordinary empowered people that we now call apostles and, and, and the mighty men of the, the early church is this. It's the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So as we begin this lesson today, I just want to invite you just to bow our heads and, and we'll just pray. Father, it is such an important lesson that we're going to be studying today. And I just pray that as we do that, that you'll open our hearts and our minds to receive a message from you. One that will be more than just um, a study. It'll actually be something we apply to our own lives, something that will help transform us from the inside out because we'll make it immensely practical. So we thank you for that. So yeah, this is, this is really an important one, right? This is like, if you didn't study anything else this quarter, this is the one you don't want to miss. And on um, this one, and this lesson, it, it's actually, so we'll just pick up now looking at, at Sunday's lesson. And the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was, was giving to the disciples. And he actually said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Now, just think about that. Jesus was with his disciples. 24-7. They did life together in a discipleship program like no other. We can try and imagine what this is like. We can create things like a rise and, and other things like that, that that try and replicate, but in many respects fall way short of walking with the master and actually seeing how he did life, seeing how he did ministry, 
And Jesus said, well, actually, it's to your advantage that I go. So let's, let's start by looking at John 15. So we're going to go to the Gospel of John. I'm just using my technology to do that. Uh, John 15, and we're starting in verse 26. And um, Jesus is actually talking here, but when the helper comes, that's I'm using the New King James Version, he says, but when the helper comes, or in the Greek it says, when the paraclete comes, and the paraclete is the one who's going to come alongside of you. Paraclete is a Greek word that actually means like a teacher or like the instructor. When he comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And then he goes on to say, and you will be witnesses because you have been with me from the beginning. So this is a very special promise to the disciples. But later on, Jesus would take that promise and then apply the gift of the Spirit to everyone. So that's the, that's the promise. That's to us. And Jesus said um, in verse 7 of the next chapter, in chapter 16, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. And now the disciples must have been really confused with that. Like, how could you not be confused? But Jesus actually says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I do depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, and so there it is. And, and it's this beautiful promise that's for all of us. And when he comes, this is John 16, now verse 8. He will do three things. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And Jesus then goes on to explain what he means by those things. But I just want to pick up a couple of key things here, okay? So, first of all, the Holy Spirit was to testify a witness of Jesus. Um, the Holy Spirit's not going to testify of himself. The Holy Spirit's not going to turn up and say, look at me, look at me, look at me. Instead, he's actually going to say, no, look at Jesus. Um, share, the, share the life and the love of Jesus. Get people introduced to Jesus. And um, let me tell you about Jesus and how he is the center of the Old Testament, how Jesus is the center of all God's intention for saving Israel and saving the Gentiles and saving us, all who would hear. It's all about Jesus. And the reason is to glorify Jesus. Now, you know, this, this seems like, oh, wow, you know, is this a little over the top? No, it's not over the top. If you think of it, could God have given any greater gift than the gift of himself, the gift of Jesus, his son, to, to enter this world, to, to enter this world as a human being and then to die the cruel death of shame on a cross, right? Now, we need to hold that picture of God's incredible love. Jesus said, greater love is no man than this, that he would lay down his life for friends. But he said, you know, I'm laying down my life, not for friends, but for people who are enemies, people who are warring against God. I'm loving all of them with a love that would actually propel me to the cross. Now, hold that intention because the Gospel of John says in 16 verse 8, that and when he comes, he will convict the world of sin. Now, that word convict is a really interesting word in Hebrew, right? So what that word actually means is it actually is, is like he's going to convict and, and almost like expose might be a better word, to expose the shame, to expose our, our 
inhumanity, to expose our evil, to expose our unrighteous deeds. But in particular, John's contrasting the, the, the work that the Spirit will do in exposing the sin of the world. And in particular, he's got a, partic- he's got a, a, a sin in mind because he's in the shadow of the cross. Jesus is, this is Jesus' last message and he's heading to the cross. And Jesus is actually saying, well, look, when the Spirit comes, he's going to reveal the sin of the world. And what's the sin of the world? The sin of the world is we crucified God. We, we, we put God on a cross. We put Jesus on a cross. And that's our shame. And that's your shame. That's my shame. We participated in that. If we were there at the time, our sin is responsible for putting Jesus on the cross. So there's a conviction of that. And that conviction is really important because that conviction, when the Spirit brings that conviction, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to go, oh, Lord, you're so right. I'm so sorry I did that. It's my shame. I put you on the cross. Forgive me. I want to live a new life. I want to be transformed. I want to change. That's the work of the Spirit in your life. If you say yes to that, God's Spirit is mightily working in your heart and your life to bring a transformation. If you resist that and you continue to resist that and continue to resist that, that can lead you to a very dangerous place where your heart is hardened against the Spirit of God. And the scripture warns us against that because it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So whenever you feel the conviction of God in your heart, you might be sitting in church and someone's preaching that day or someone's teaching and you feel like, oh, your heart is being stirred and, and you're getting a little stirred up. Just know that that is the nudge of the Holy Spirit. That's the convicting power of the Spirit that Jesus promised would come. And it's essential because that reminds you that you need a Savior, it reminds you that you You've got sin in your life. You have sin in your life that you need to confess and you need to let go of. Hopefully this is making sense. So that's the first thing the Holy Spirit would do. He would convict the world of sin. But he doesn't leave us there. And I love this next bit because if he just convicted of sin, we might all despair of life and and want to and feel like quitting and giving up. But Jesus actually says, no, it's much more than that. He's going to convict of righteousness. Now, this thing of righteousness is really important because righteousness is is love in action. It's good in action. So sin is what's wrong. Righteousness is what's right. And the Spirit is going to convict you of that. And it's actually going to take you on a journey. The, the Holy Spirit's going to take you on a journey. And he, the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you and say, you've got to visit your neighbor. He's going to prompt you and say, pick up the phone and call and call John and call Arthur because he needs you. Or call Simon because Simon just lost his dad this week and he needs someone to call. You won't know why you're calling, but your faithfulness in making that call will actually change and help someone's life. And learning to follow those, what I call the nudge or listening to the voice of the spirit in your life and, and following through those. And then that that's one step. The other way it works of a convicting of righteousness and this happened to me just the other day. I was, I was going for a walk and, and as I'm walking along, I see a bit of rubbish and I'm thinking I should pick that rubbish up and I walked by and, and the conviction grew and grew and grew. And it's like, and to my shame, I didn't go back, but, but I should have. I should have went back because I believe that was God just giving me a nudge saying, hey, Neil, you should care for the environment too. And here's one way you can do that. You can pick that rubbish up. Come on, you're not above picking rubbish up. Get down on your knees and pick that rubbish up. And I should have. And they're the moments that, that, that I need to tune into 
but they're not just moments about rubbish. They're moments about doing good for your for your wife or your kids or or doing good in serving in the church or serving in the community. It's those moments and it's the spirit brings that sense of of conviction, of righteousness, of what's right and wrong and what's the appropriate thing to do and, and how to get discernment around those things. And then, of course, the spirit will bring along that same sort of line a conviction of judgment. And this judgment is, is um, you know, separating right from wrong, being able to, 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 to get a handle on things. And Jesus actually says it this way. He says, of sin, because they do not believe in me. So they need to have this change of heart. In verse 10, he says, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. So we're not going to see. So who are they going to see? Well, I have to see us. Jesus is saying there in verse 10. They've got to see us. And how are they going to see Jesus in us? Well, only if God's Spirit is in our life. So the Holy Spirit is absolutely pivotal in the success of this mission. Otherwise, you're just going to see Neil. And Neil's a train wreck on a good day. On a bad day, you don't even want to know about it. But when Jesus inhabits the heart, when Jesus inhabits the life, then my life is not a train wreck. My life is hid in Christ. And now people don't see me, they see the character of Christ revealed in me, and that's to God's glory, that's to Jesus' glory. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, so, you know, Satan is standing condemned, Jesus is standing as the righteous one who's elevated, and they now have an opportunity to change their life and to be transformed, where they let go of the negative way, they let go of the bad way, and they come to, to know Jesus. Jesus is saying here that, that what needs to happen in our life is that, that our lives are to be lived as witnesses to the life of Christ simply by cooperating with the Holy Spirit. So we need to allow the Spirit into our life. Now, our lesson asks this question, in our desire to work for souls, why must we always remember that we can't do the converting but only the Holy Spirit can? I can't say how important this is, right? If we take it upon ourselves to try and do the converting of people, we're going to get that horribly wrong. We're going to start judging people, you know, like this happens at church. It's like, hey, why why are you wearing short skirts like that? Or why have you got earrings? Or why do you smoke? Or And, and so on, because we think it's our job to bring conviction, to bring a change in someone's life. No, that's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is actually to highlight Jesus, to teach people about Jesus, to say, hey, do you know what Jesus did for you? Do you know what Jesus did for me, for all of humanity? So we draw people to Jesus when we teach the teachings of our church. We do that through the lens of looking to the cross and seeing Jesus so that, hey, Jesus is coming soon. We need to be ready. Hey, your body, you need to take really good care of it because it's the temple of the Holy Spirit and that's how we can worship Jesus. Um, and how we can serve him is, is through this temple. So we've got to take care of it. And, and so bit by bit, but we don't need to tell people to let go of stuff. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to cooperate and to do the teaching. And it's his job to do the converting and the changing. hope that's really clear. Then on Monday's lesson, the book of Acts, you know, the, the lesson says, well, it's actually called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Well, I guess you could call it that. I've never heard it called that myself. But I think it's a good title because really it is. It's, it's like the church would never have got going. The, the movement that Christ 
envisaged as he went to the cross. Remember, the scripture says in Hebrews 12 that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the shame of the cross. What was the joy? The joy was the church triumphant. The joy was the mission going forward to the uttermost parts of the world, bringing in sinners from all nations, language, tribes, and peoples, people whose lives would be touched and changed. That was a joy that was set before him. And Jesus needed the Spirit in his church. Now, when did the Holy Spirit come? Well, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, right? Now, Pentecost came 50 days after Passover. So you had the Feast of Passover when they celebrated that, and that was when Jesus died on the cross. 50 days later, Jesus is is now, and you know, he's... He hung around after that for about the first 10 days or so after the cross, just meeting and talking with disciples and and getting them. And then he said, go to Jerusalem and wait there until you receive power. Now, what sort of power turned up? Well, if you've got your Bible there, let's look at Acts chapter 2. So we're going to, what what chapter are we going to? We're going to Acts 2. And now I'm using my technology again, Acts 2. And we're going to look at verse 41. And... In verse 41, Peter here, now the Holy Spirit's come down with tongues of fire at the in, in chapter 2. And it's just like this amazing revelation. God's Spirit's turned up. And then Peter preaches his sermon. And he says, look, we're not drunk as you think. But And then he goes on and, and he teaches and he, and he exhorts and he, and he points people to Jesus. And in verse 41, it says, those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them, to that is to the disciples group. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or teaching, if you like, and fellowship in the breaking of bread. We think of that as the Eucharist, the, the, the last supper meal, if you like, and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And so continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. This is an incredible moment. And many people just long for this. They long for the, the, the first church experience. The Acts church experience is what they call it. And as you go through again and again and again, you know, in Acts 2 and in Acts 4 and verse 4. So let's look at Acts 4 and verse 4. And this is what it says. It says, um, however, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Right. So so the church is growing exponentially here. And and then later on in Acts 5 and verse 14. You know, um, I've gone from technology. I'm using my my printed Bible now. This is this is I think a little better. I can follow along easier. So Acts five verse fourteen it says, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. I love that, right? So Jesus promised to his disciples that you would bear much fruit, and and this is the evidence, right? The early church was bearing much fruit, and. Um, the dynamite of the Holy Spirit was convicting hearts, was transforming lives, was saving lives, and then was leading to conviction of righteousness as they sold their goods and as they pulled resources together so that the work of God could go forward with greater strength. And they were being held together in unity of purpose and of mind 
they were of one accord. And, um, you know, our lesson at the end of Monday says the prime focus of the New Testament church was mission. I actually want to disagree with that. I think mission was the, the result of their, their, um, their joining together. The big why, I think, of the early church was they were focused on exalting Jesus and, and faithfulness to the gospel and faithfulness to Christ. And as a result of their union with Christ, they were compelled to mission. So, yeah, I, I can see their point. You know, the prime focus of the new church was mission. Yes, I would agree with that. But actually, I think the bigger point behind it was this connectedness to Christ, this connectedness to the spirit that, that, that really propelled them. And you see that evidence of the propulsion because, you know, um, the, the stoning of Stephen, the, the, the prompting of the Spirit leading Philip to catch up with the Ethiopian and, and the nudge of the Spirit that they got a hold of Paul and then the revelation of Jesus to Paul and then he goes on his missionary trips and everywhere, everywhere you go, there's this dynamite of the Spirit actually doing his work among God's people. So this brings us really to the pivotal part of the lesson. It's like, what can we do to make ourselves more open and amenable to the power of the Spirit in our lives? What are the right kind of choices that will enable Him to work in and through us, right? So that's the right kind of question. And it, it is absolutely an essential question. So how, do, how does someone become filled with the Holy Spirit? Do I need to lock myself in a room for 40 days and 40 nights like the apostles did? And or for 10 days of prayer, like, you know, is that what's required just to, to lock myself there? I actually don't think it was 40 days. I think it was 10 days that where they did that. And is that what required? Well, I think what is required, and, and it's really interesting, is to, and, and you know, later on, our, our lesson actually takes us into looking at, at what Ellen White has to say and, you know, her, her um, work in Acts of the Apostles. And she has many wonderful things to say about the gift of the Spirit and the Acts of the Apostles. And, and I guess one of the, one of the things that, that um, stands out there is this idea that she says that every single day there needs to be a submission to God again. Uh, she calls it a, a daily baptism of the Spirit. And this daily baptism of the Spirit, you know, let me read it. This is Acts of the Apostles and it's around page 50. She says, since this is the means by which we're to receive power, why do we not hunger and thirst for it? All right, I'm just going to back that up a little bit. I'll start the paragraph before. This is what she says. The lapse of time has wrought no change in Christ's parting promise to send the Holy Spirit as his representative to the church. It's not because of any restriction on the part of God that the riches of his grace do not flow earthward to men. If the fulfillment of the promise is not seen as it might be, it's because the promise is not appreciated as it should be. If all were willing, all would be filled with the Spirit. Wherever the need of the Holy Spirit is a matter little thought of, there is seen spiritual drought, spiritual darkness, spiritual declension and death. You see what she's talking about. She's saying, hey, if we don't, if we don't talk about it, if we don't pray about it, if we don't seek it, it's not going to happen. 
Jesus actually told the disciples, you've got to go to Jerusalem and wait. And the, the idea of waiting is not sitting there just, you know, sipping pina coladas under a, under a palm tree somewhere, virgin pina coladas, by the way. No, it's not that at all. It's actually, you go there and the waiting is an active waiting. You're, you're praying, you're confessing your unbelief, you're confessing, uh, you're opening your heart to God as to a friend. And, and in that, you, you're submitting yourself to God. And she says that, that if we think of that so little, then there's a spiritual drought. Whenever minor, she goes on to say, whenever minor matters occupy the attention, the divine power which is necessary for the growth and prosperity of the church and which would bring all other blessings in its train is lacking, though offered in infinite plenitude. So in other words, the one gift that would transform everything in your local church, would transform everything in your home, would transform everything in your workplace, everything in your life, is, is the gift of God's Holy Spirit, which kind of makes it interesting that as a church we don't talk more about it, is a point. And she said, since this is it, why don't we talk about it? Why don't we hunger and thirst for the gift of the Spirit? Why don't we pray for it and preach concerning it? The Lord is more willing to give the gift of His Spirit than, he, than parents are willing to give good gifts to the kids. And then she says this, for the daily baptism of the Spirit, every worker, now this word worker, don't miss this. Is it just a pastor who's a worker? Is it a Bible worker who's a worker? No, it's, it's everyone who's a Christian. Everyone who takes the name of Christ is a worker. Every worker should offer his petition to God. Companies of Christian workers should gather to ask for special help, for heavenly wisdom, that they may know how to plan and execute wisely. Especially should they pray that God will baptize his chosen ambassadors in mission fields with a rich measure of his spirit. And on she goes and talking about consecrated workers, consecrated people, consecrated leaders in local churches, their workers too, consecrated um, workers in your workplace. Anyone can be a, a worker for Christ because where the Great Commission is not just for, for paid people or professional people. The Great Commission is for everyone who would come. So let's recap. What are we saying? We're saying that the Holy Spirit is this powerhouse that comes to the church. The Holy Spirit is the, is the dynamite, that the explosive energy that's needed to bring this desperately needed power to this feeble group of people. So is your church feeling a little feeble? Is your church, is your family, is your spiritual life feeling like it's a little dry? then here's what I want you to do. It's something that, that I've done now for, for a very long time. And it's just a basic commitment. Before my feet get out of bed in the morning, I open my heart and I just receive again the Spirit of God into my life. I just submit myself and I say, Lord, I want to consecrate myself to you today. And I, I just pray, Lord, today that, that you will use me, that you'll take me as your instrument You'll use me to be a blessing to others, that you'll use me for the furtherance of your work, that you'll send someone into my life that I can encourage and uplift and, and be a blessing to. That's the kind of prayer you need to pray every morning. That's the kind of prayer I pray every morning. It's not exactly that. It varies from day to day because I don't want it to be right. I want it coming from my heart. But that's it. That's the secret. And if you want to take that to the next level, you then just start hungry and you, and you start praying things like this. God, I just pray that you will make me hunger 
for your spirit, that you will make me thirsty for your spirit, and that every day you would you would fill that. And God is faithful. He he answers the, the prayers of, of his people like that. In the Acts of the Apostles, Ellen White says this, only to those who wait, this is like on what page is it, 672, she says, only to those who wait humbly upon God, who watch for his guidance and grace, is a spirit given. The power of God awaits their demand and reception. This promised blessing claimed by faith brings all other blessings in its train. It is given according to the riches of the grace of Christ, and he is ready to supply every soul according to the capacity to receive. So the final thing I want to say about this lesson, which is so pivotal, if your church needs more power, if your life needs more power, it's not by you whipping yourself into more action. It's actually by inviting God's Spirit in, getting rid of sin, allowing the Spirit to bring a conviction of sin, allowing the Spirit to bring a conviction of righteousness. It's those things. And then it's actually, He is ready to supply every soul according to the capacity to receive. So maybe your capacity to receive isn't great at the moment. Maybe God's not going to trust you with greater power because you haven't demonstrated a faithfulness in small things. So like when I was walking along the road and I left that rubbish there, it's like, well, I need to learn that the first time I get a nudge from God, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll go back. I'll pick it up. And, and Lord, did you want me to give that person a call now? Okay, I'll do that. I'll do that right now. I'll give them a call. Not 10 minutes from now, not an hour from now, not a couple of days from now that I'll get around to it. But as soon as God gives you the nudge, follow that. And the more we do that, the more responsibility God will trust you with. As a mate of mine once said that, you know, he started a food ministry. This is one of our pastors in our conference. And um, he said, look, you know, we, we needed the truck, but I'm glad God didn't give us a truck. He gave us a van to start with because we had to learn how to treat the van with respect and handle it and, and deal with that. And then we, then we got the truck, and now, and, but then we needed a refrigerator truck. And he says, but I'm glad God didn't give us a refrigerator truck because we didn't have the capacity to handle it and receive that gift from God yet. We had to prove faithful in handling the truck first. And that's how it is in our spiritual life, friends, that, that we actually have to demonstrate a faithfulness with what we have received in those small things. And every time God gives us a nudge where he says, hey, just go say thank you to your wife or go just give your, give your husband a hug and just say, hey, really appreciated what you did for me tonight. Or just go to your kids and say, look, I'm sorry because God's spirit says, hey, you were a bit harsh on the kids, so go back and apologize. So every time we do that, we're showing a faithfulness in listening to and living in sync with the spirit. And the more we do that, Ellen White says he's ready to supply every soul according to the capacity to receive. And that capacity to receive is enhanced by our obedience to him. So I hope this has been of interest to you. I'm going to finish with a prayer. I'm going to pray that that you will become so hungry for the Spirit that every day that you wake up, the very first thought in your mind is going to be of heaven and of living your life as a witness to Jesus in your life. Let's pray together. Father, this lesson is so vital to your church. It's unbelievable. The Scripture says it's not by might or power. It's not by strength of humanity, but it's by the strength of your Holy Spirit working through your church, working through your people. 
Father for all the times that we've tried to do it in our own strength. We're sorry. We've messed up. And for all the times that happened, people don't see Jesus. They just see a church filled with people who mess up. Forgive us for that, Lord. And instead, what we ask for is that you would make us daily thirst for your spirit. That you would make us daily hunger for your word so that we would be filled and satisfied by the riches of your word that dwells in us. That your spirit would be able to use the word of God that's planted in us as the sword of the spirit that would bring conviction in the lives of those around us. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be resident in our heart. And, and just now, Father, I just pray that your spirit will come into the hearts of those who listen, that you would come with power and conviction of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, that they would confess their sin, that they would be willing to obey in acts of righteousness and live for you in this world as your agents. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for this lesson. Thank you for your word, which instructs us. And we just pray that you will bless your church and bless us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today in the podcast. And we just pray God will bless you as you continue to follow him and be filled with his spirit every single day. God bless. Bye.